This is KSQD Santa Cruz 90.7 FM. I'm Deanna Riley, and this is the Hive Poetry Collective, where we talk to poets in the Monterey Bay area and around the world. And today, I am so beyond thrilled to be talking to Denise Duhamel and Dustin Brookshire. They are collaborating on a fabulous project that I'm going to be telling you about in a minute. I'm just going to do some quick bios so you know who these people are, if you haven't heard of them already. Denise Duhamel's most recent book of poetry is Second Story from Pittsburgh in 2021. Her, others entitled, her other titles include Scald, Blowout, Kaching, Two and Two, Queen for a Day, Selected and New Poems. The Star Spangled Banner and Kinky. She and Maureen Seaton have co-authored most recently Caprice, collaborations collected, uncollected, and new. She and Julie Mary Wade co-authored The Unrhymables, collaboration in prose. She is a distinguished university professor in the MFA program at Florida International University in Miami. Dustin Brookshire, a finalist for the 2021 Scotty Merrill Award, is a curator of the Zoom-based Wild and Precious Life series and founder and editor of Limp Wrist. He's the author of two chapbooks, Love Most of You Too, from Harbor Editions 2021, and To the One Who Raped Me, Sibling Rivalry Press 2012. Dustin is currently co-editing with Julie E. Blomicky, a Dolly Parton poetry anthology that is forthcoming from Madville Publishing in 2023. You can find Dustin online at dustinberkshire.com. So welcome, both of you. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much. So um, let's get first right to this upcoming issue of Limp Wrist, because that's really what we're here to talk about. Want to talk a little bit too about the poetry series that you curate, Dustin, the Wild and Precious Life series. Um, we want to talk about that a little bit too, but this Limp Wrist is a literary journal and it's had how many issues so far? Five. Five. I have to think a minute. <laughs> five issues. And I know one featured villanelles, right? I love doing themes. We did a villanelle issue and a dolly issue were two of the themes so far. So you, you have a history of great themes right off. But why don't you tell um, our listeners a little bit about the upcoming issue? So I've been working with Denise, co-editing a Barbie-themed issue that will be going live in two parts. Um, one, one date is March 1st, because that honors Denise's book, Kinky, which was published on March 1st, 1997. So it's 25 years old this year. So happy birthday, Kinky. <laughs> and the second it, part of the issue will go live on Barbie's birthday, um, which is not March 9th. I'm really excited about that. Do we know what sign Barbie is? Pisces. 
I know way too much. <laughs> okay. And does that make sense that she's a Pisces? I mean, is that like fit with what they say yeah. Pisces are? Because I'm like I, lame about, I, I don't know anything about astrology really. Well, Pisces is a double sign. So it, I believe, right? It's the two fish, one fish upside down, one fish. Well, not that fish can be upside down, but you know what I mean? They look kind of like mirror each other and they tend to drown people, you know? Oh. So I'm an air sign, um, Gemini. So like Pisces and I don't usually get along because it's like you feel like you're drowning if you're an air sign. Okay. That's about, that is very limited, um, but what I know. Okay, well, okay, Bar uh, Barbie might make you feel like you're drowning and I'm a Gemini too, just want to tell you that. All right, they're good communicators. We're good communicators. So now I feel like I have to ask you, Dustin, <laughs> even though I never talk about astrology, my listeners know I never talk about astrology, uh, but what sign are you, Dustin? Aquarius. Okay, that we're supposed to be compatible, right? Yes, Gemini's and Aquarius, that's a good mix. Okay. These are, that's okay. So we've covered just about everything I know about <laughs> astrology, even though I'm not, I'm not dissing astrology. I just want to be clear about that. Okay. So how, why Barbie and how did the two of you get together on this project really quick? Let's talk about that. Well, I'm super gay. So Barbie, you know, is something that was off limits to me growing up when, when I would sneak to play with Barbie with the kids, I had to like have a GI Joe or find some masculine concept, like they're going on a date. And so I've, I've loved Barbie, but it really came from Denise's book, Kinky turning 25. Like I am a hardcore kinky fan. I love that book so, so much. And I realized it was its 25th anniversary. And I was like, I should do a Barbie issue to pay tribute. And I was like, I wonder if Denise would be interested. And I was like, she, she has to be part of it. And so I emailed her. Did you guys know each other before? You're both from Florida, right? Well, we both live in Florida now, but we knew each other from back in the day. I want to say in Atlanta, maybe we met. I, or... I looked it up. Okay. So you signed my kinky book. We met at a conference in 2007 when kinky had turned 10. Wow. I remember that. I remember that because there was an artist, there is an artist, Car um, Carol Tadero. And when kinky turned 10 years old, she made the, I mean, they are really good. Like artist books basically where she shoved the pages of kinky in, but she took it apart and made like a new cover and, Oh, it was gorgeous. It was gorgeous. So I'm so glad that you remembered the anniversary of Kinky. It's 25 years. I can't believe that. So that's 15 years ago. So, so Denise's book, Kinky, helped you um, come out of the Barbie closet in a way. I mean, I was just saying that Denise, reading Denise's book gave me permission to talk about... Um, difficult breakups, um, a blowout in particular, and just like talking smack and, and letting myself free to talk smack about um, the, <laughs> my exes and just to feel free about my writing. Do you feel like kinky kind of freed you to, to understand that Barbie could be a, a topic for poetry? It, to me, it's even larger than that. It, it showed me that 
poetry can be about anything. Cause I had sort of those teachers mm. in high school that like, oh, you don't put pop culture in poems. You don't do these things. And when I read Kinky, I was like, man, they were so wrong in what they told me. Like, this is amazing. And whenever I would have friends, they're like, I don't like poetry. I'm like, why don't you like poetry? And they're like, it uses all the SAT words. That's what my friends would say. And like, it's just on topics that are not touchable. And so I would give them, I would buy copies of Kinky and give it to them and to win people over to poetry just because it shows you poetry can be about anything and still make some very um, excellent points and get into some difficult topics. Yeah, no, I mean, not only does she broach a pop culture topic, but goes deep, deep, deep into it and doesn't just puts her teeth in it and just doesn't let go, which we love. Thank you. Well, I felt for me, um, I mean, it was so long ago, of course, now that I've written, um, that I was writing those Barbie poems, but I remember just busting out in a certain way too, because my first, Kinky was my fourth book. And my first three books tended to be um, about personal, you know, confessional, post-confessional, whatever um, you want to call it. And I felt like in the Barbie poems, I could tackle, I'd always wanted to be a political writer and I didn't know how to do it exactly. Like I wanted to say feminism is this, you know, body image is this, this is crap. This is not, but you know, I, I felt really didactic and then using Barbie, as the vehicle, if you will, to say so many things. It sounds like it would be the opposite, right? She's a piece of plastic, she's super shallow. There's, you know, you'd think there'd be nothing to say, but I guess the way that kids play with dolls is the way that grown up poets can play with dolls, you know, and kind of just take them anywhere. I mean, she's so blank, her face is so blank in some ways that you can project and pretty much write about whatever you want. Huh, so, wow, she's a revolutionary figure. She's set, she's set I mean, free. <laughs> and that's weird. I mean, I don't even like, I mean, it's funny because I think reading the poems for the issue that um, Dustin and I are doing, like the, the, a lot of the gay men tend to, you know, they're so sweet and careful and they're putting Barbie back together and taking really good care of her where the women, Art talking about abuse, <laughs> you know, eating disorders, and screw that, and the dream house sucks, or whatever it is, you know. So there's a way, um, which I, I think really she does. That I think it's that blank face where we can do say whatever we need to say. Wow, that which is- seems really odd because I don't think of her as a feminist icon or anything like that. But on the other hand, she enabled so many writers imaginative play or children even imaginative play Mm -hmm. it's so fascinating well yeah it is well before we start reading some of these poems really quick why don't you tell us when the books are coming out they're going to be released and when you're having your online reading so the first part of the issue will drop on march 1st to celebrate kinky turning 25 And then the second half of the issue will drop on March 9th on Barbie's birthday. And then we are doing a reading with the Wild and Precious Life series on March 16th. And that starts at 7.30 Eastern Standard Time. And if anyone goes to the Wild and Precious um, Life series website, they can find the Zoom link on the website for that reading. 
Excellent. Okay, so let's move in. I just remembered I already, we already did say the days, but we shall probably re, uh, repeat those a few times um, so people can write it down if they're driving or whatever. Why don't we start first with um, Denise Duhamel's poem, Kinky, that just started this whole thing out. Um, Great. So this is the uh, titular poem from your book, Kinky, I guess. Yes, it is. Um, so this, yes, right, the title poem. It's called Kinky, and here it is. They decide to exchange heads. Barbie squeezes the small opening under her chin over Ken's bulging neck socket. His wide jawline jostles atop his girlfriend's body, loosely like one of those nodding novelty dogs destined to gaze from the back windows of cars. The two dolls chase each other around the orange country camper, unsure what they'll do when they're within touching distance. Ken wants to feel Barbie's toes between his lips, take off one of her legs and force his whole arm inside her. With only the vaguest suggestion of genitals, all the alluring qualities they possess as fashion dolls up until now, have done neither of them much good. But suddenly Barbie is excited, looking at her own body under the weight of Ken's face. He is part circus freak, part thwarted hermaphrodite, and she is imagining she is somebody else, maybe somebody middle-class and ordinary, maybe another teenage model being caught in a scandal. The night had begun with Barbie getting angry at finding Ken's blow-up doll folded and stuffed under the couch. He was defensive and ashamed, especially about not even having the breath to inflate her. But after a round of pretend tears, Barbie and Ken vowed to try to make their relationship work. With their good memories as sustaining as good food, they listened to late night radio talk shows, one featuring Dr. Ruth. When all else fails, just hold each other, the small sex therapist crooned. Barbie and Ken on cue groped in the dark, their interchangeable skin glowing the color of band-aids. Then they let themselves go. Soon Barbie was begging Ken to try on her spandex miniskirt. She showed him how to pivot as though he were on a runway. Ken begged to tie Barbie onto his yellow surfboard and spin her on the kitchen table until she grew dizzy. Anything, anything, they both said to the other's requests their mirrored desires bubbling from the most unlikely places. Thank you. That was Denise Duhamel reading Kinky from her book, Kinky. And this is also going to be in the, the it's not an anthology, it's just an issue of Limp Wrist that is, the theme, that is themed Barbie. Um, so, uh, you know, as you were reading this, I was thinking, yes, it's all about permission. Again, I guess that's the theme of this interview is they, they get to play around with gender, they get to do a little drag, um, they get to do whatever they want to each other. So I, it's about imagination, isn't it? And that's what our toys do for us. Yes, I remember so clearly my nieces were little, very little girls then, and they did that. I mean, they took their, I mean, they didn't do what I described later, but I mean, they had taken 
they put each other's head, they had a Ken head on a Barbie body and a Barbie head on a Ken body. And it was like one of the funniest things I'd ever seen in my life. And they were just like, I don't know what, what possessed them to do it, but it was so fabulous. And I thought there's a poem in that. And there was. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, we need to uh, take a look at what children do and what mm-hmm. they do with dolls and um, just kind of bring it into our adult life a little bit. Just that freedom to be whatever we want. Um, you, I think you have some really good word choices here. I think that Ken's bulging neck socket, I think that was <laughs> bulging. does a lot of work right there. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Well, also, it really is true that, you know, their their heads are different sizes and that, you know, when you pop them off that neck socket, his was pretty big. So it's like trying to get her head over his neck socket. It was pretty funny. Yeah, Barbie's I mean, it, head now. It's completely think. sexual and without being sexual. It's just goofy. Uh, yeah, Barbie's neck was preternaturally thin. Mm-hmm. Like a giraffe lady or something. Mm-hmm. Um, there were so many studies. I mean, at the time, I remember just there were so many articles and it would be if um, Barbie were somehow made into a human form, if we just took her proportions, she would wear, her foot size would be a child three, child size three, because she has a little tiny feet, right? Then her waist was something like, 13 or 14 inches. So she wouldn't have enough room for her major organs. <laughs> she wouldn't be able to stand up because of her um, proportions, you know, it was just so crazy. Wow. And th- yeah, that, so that was my angle when I first started, I was like, that is what they're telling women to look like. And this is ridiculous. Blah, 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 blah. Then, so that was one poem, but then the more I got into it, the more there were so many other things to say. Well, that was a moment when we kind of figured that out. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, re- I remember that being a baby boomer. There was a moment where I think that women, educated women, realized that Barbie was probably not good for her. <laughs> but then you, that's a stepping stone to deeper thought about. Correct. Her. Okay, so that that was fun. Um, I, you know, I feel like I can just go on and on and on talking, digging into the poems and talking about Barbie and the culture of Barbie, but we've got to move through these poems. And now I want to read Dustin's poem, or I want Dustin to read Dustin's poem. So Dustin, you want to go ahead and read well, HIV Barbie I just want to make sure, is there really an H? There is not really an H. Okay, all right. I should Google that first. <laughs> it would be so amazing if it was, you know, an hepatitis Barbie too, maybe. Okay, so why don't you go ahead and read us this wonderfully titled HIV Barbie. So interestingly enough, when I looked at the book that Denise signed in 2007, I apparently talked to her about this poem because this is the first Barbie poem I ever wrote after a friend confided in me. And I talked to her that day about I was trying to make this poem work and she wrote in it, I hope to read your Barbie poem one day. So this is actually that poem. HIV Barbie. Barbie doesn't understand 
why Cuba and Belize require HIV testing for visitors staying longer than three months. Her celebrity status may not help her in Egypt. Non-nationals with HIV may be deported. Aruba won't grant work permits to anyone positive. Barbie gripes to Ken, who wants to go to Cuba? Belize, what do they have to offer? The pyramids aren't all that, and I can do a photo shoot on any damn beach. Barbie can't comprehend the fuss. She has no worries of bleeding cuts or scrapes or sharing needles. Just say no to drugs, Barbie shrugs. Barbie doesn't even have blood, nor openings for necessity or pleasure. No orifice means none. Ask Ken, the fact often makes him blue. With her box comes an information sheet dispelling myths of how HIV is transmitted. It's safe to comb Barbie's hair. It's safe to take a bath with Barbie. Meds will not be needed, which makes Barbie wipe her forehead. How would she take the pills anyway? Mattel never placed her in circulation. Tucked away deep in a closet, infectious disease Dr. Ken takes care of her, even though her body will never age, never have to worry about routine blood work or telling friends, family, and fans she's positive. They'd only want to know how she contracted HIV. HIV Barbie, read by Dustin Brookshire. And this, uh, this is going to be appearing in the issue of Limp Wrist, correct? We'll be reading our poems on the, the Wild and Precious Life, but we're focusing on everyone else for the issue. Oh, okay. I see. Um, well, when I, the first thing I thought when I, I read this is that last line, they only want to know how she contracted HIV. And I'll bet that is the most common question mm -hmm. that people with HIV get. And it must be so annoying to get that question over and over and over again, and a little humiliating. That, that's what inspired the poem. Mm -hmm. I had a friend and that was what um, the friend confided in me was like, was tired of being asked that question. And so that's really what drove this poem for me was getting that in this poem. Yeah, it's a, it's a bit invasive. It's a really invasive question. It's such a personal question and feels a little bit um, accusatory or something. Yeah, and just it's just so rude. Like somebody is opening up to you and talking to you about that. And that's a question that you drop out in that conversation. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's like saying it's your fault. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I hadn't really thought about that before, but you know, this is just an example of how poetry makes you thinks about, think about things and connect with a world you might not know all that much about. Um, infectious disease, Dr. Ken, <laughs> you know, I'm sorry. I thought about um, Dr. Fauci. <laughs> when I heard that, I'm like, I'm sure, I know. I'm sure they've made a doll of Dr. Fauci. Um, but Mattel never placed her in circulation, tucked away deep in a Mattel closet. So here, once again, this, this, Barbie can take us to all sorts of different places. This whole idea of suppression is right here in this poem. Right, and shame. I mean, they even thought of 
when you said Dr. Fauci, I thought the same thing, even though this poem was obviously written before the pandemic I, or completed before the pandemic and how even people with COVID, you know, I, I tend to be like, how did they, I mean, I don't ask, but I tend to be like, how did they get that? Are they vaccinated? You know, and now it, it's, it's a mute point because everyone's getting the Omicron, right? I mean, it's like, you can, I don't know, open your window and get it, it feels like. I mean, I, I think everyone's, even if you take all the precautions in the world, there's still like a certain, um, I mean, it's very different than AIDS because it's not sexually, it can't, it's not primarily sexually transmitted, but there's still that. It's social though. Social, yeah. Like, it oh, did you go to dinner? Yeah. <laughs> Whatever, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I think, I feel like that drive to just be around people yeah. Um, I mean, it, it kind of reminds me of just the drive to be sexual. It's like, it's such mm -hmm. a deep need mm -hmm. that we have. And Dr. Fauci was around during the, the AIDS epidemic. He was, yeah. <clears throat> Another example of Barbie being able to take you anywhere is this little fact about HIV testing for visitors staying longer than three months in Cuba and Belize. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I thought it was really important. I don't think people realize what kind of restrictions there are um, for people who are HIV positive. So I mm -hmm. hide those in. Mm -hmm. Is that still true? Um, yes, I looked, um, I used a few resources and I actually had to change some parts of that poem because I didn't save where I fact checked it. So I had to pull some different country examples, um, but yeah. It's pretty interesting. There's, um, it's called UnAIDS website, UN AIDS. It's a great website and they break down a lot of discriminatory laws. Um, and there's some countries that it's pretty horrific in my opinion. Wow, it's, uh, when you read that Dustin, I, I thought it was from a different time. I mean, I, I just assumed like, oh, it was the age, the, you know, AIDS before 80. there were, yeah, 19, whatever, 1980, whatever. I didn't think of it as now because now there's so many, it seems ridiculous. There's no, there's so many pills and cocktails and really good medications. Yeah. Some of them have changed. Like I had to, I think um, Belize actually had a stricter requirement, but now it's only if you're staying after 90 days. So some of them have had progression, even though we may not mm -hmm. think it is progress to go to wow. for 90 days, but, and I guess the caveat would be if um, that website, you know, does not have accurate information, but it's linked from a lot of other reputable sources. Well, yeah. And I mean, it just seems, it seems true enough. It, I, I pictured it true then, but the fact that it's true now is just, it's heartbreaking. What a world. Yeah. <clears throat> but this is, there's a funny dichotomy in this poem that Barbie has HIV, but she can't have sex or intravenous <laughs> drug uh, use. Um, and yet she just magically comes out of the box with HIV. Um, and she can't treat herself e either. And there's this kind of <clears throat> helplessness that she has and um, also not caring about having it. She's a very funny little 
character in, in this poem. Yeah, I think that's one of the beautiful things about Barbie and it's something, of course, Denise does so well in her book is like, you can just spin so many different things around Barbie and it's all believable. Like <laughs> it's such a canvas to just throw on there and everything sticks for the most part. Yeah, <laughs> even something as unlikely as Barbie getting HIV. Ah, um, and I love this, just say no to drugs, Barbie shrugs. And th there's actually, if we can remember, that was, um, what's her name? Um, Nancy, Nancy Reagan. Nancy Reagan, yeah. yeah, that said that. <laughs> um, and it's a kind of a nice contrast to this beautiful thing that, that Dr. Ruth says in uh, Kinky, of mm -hmm. when all else fails, just hold each other. I mean, those the contrast there between those two quotes, one mm -hmm. is so sweet. I mean, that's a real moment of sweetness in the poem. And then this other one is just so nonchalant and unfeeling. Right. It's kind of in the same zone as how do you get it? Just completely unaware of other people's realities. Right. That's what's kind of funny about the poem. It's like Barbie comes out of the box just being this unfeeling doll with this with this disease. I, I, I don't know. It's it's hard to get your head around that. HIV Barbie. Uh, just if you just tuned in, I'm Deanna Riley. This is the Hive Poetry Collective. I'm talking to Dustin Brookshire and Denise Duhamel about an upcoming issue of Limp Wrist Literary Magazine, which is going to be all Barbie all the time. All the poems are going to be about Barbie. And who doesn't love to read about Barbie? I'm, I'm really excited to um, see this issue. I just think it's hilarious. It, really a brainwave that you came up with this idea, Dustin. Just a great idea. And I'm so glad you appeared on the show. So we could talk about it. So you've got three more poems that are going to appear in the book. Um, the first one we're going to look at here is Caridad Moro-Gronlier's poem. Did I pronounce her name right? Caridad Moro-Gronlier. Yeah. Um, in defense of my mother who never bought me a Barbie dream house. So why don't we go ahead and hear that poem? Who's going to read that? I'm going to take this one. Okay. In defense of my mother who never bought me a Barbie dream house. I was too young to understand just how young my mother was when she worked the night shift at TRW building spacecrafts with her hands, too young to know how it felt to hand over the whole of her check to my father, who gave her an allowance, $10 after 40 hours, $10 had dropped into her palm every payday. I understood Barbie called the shots, that that dream house was hers, Ken and Accessory Sands the authority to tell her what to do. I wrote 31 letters to Santa that year but he wasn't in charge. My father was. I thought I stood a chance because Miami loved Barbie's men's mod, a frame to how the chalet gleamed up at us from the slick pages of the Sears catalog. 
the wonder of real jealousy windows and wall-to-wall carpets unfurled on the kitchen table where she calculated just how long she'd have to lay that chalet away, just how much she'd have to beg to convince my father to pay. I watched her turn the page, no dog ear to save her place. I'd like to say I was happy with the Barbie dream plane she placed under the tree, but I blamed her. It would take years to understand. She didn't want me to dream of staying put. She wanted me to dream of flying away. Oh my God, what a great ending. That was Caridad Moro Gronlier's poem, In Defense, My Mother Who Never Bought Me a Barbie Dream House, which is going to appear in the next issue of Limp Wrist. This is Deanna Riley, and this is the Hive Poetry Collective. So, oh my gosh, this is a gut-wrenching poem. I love this poem so much. And I was so excited when Dustin um, sent it to me because it's kind of what we were talking about earlier in that, you know, women of a certain generation found Barbie so kind of horrifying in a way to give to a daughter. Um, and then this, this idea where you blame the mother because you can't have what you want, but then, you know, you now know what your mother's like, life was like. And I mean, that giving her a Barbie dream plane, like an airplane instead of the house so she can leave is just one of the most beautiful um, metaphors I've ever seen in a poem. It just, it, like you say, it's gut-wrenching. It just really kind of is heartbreaking and beautiful and so smart. Yeah, great way to end a poem. Just fly away. Mm -hmm. Great way to end it. And there's some interesting little turns here that in the Barbie dream house, Barbie calls the shots. And, you know, that's something I never thought about, but Ken is just an accessory to Barbie. Mm -hmm. Barbie is it. She's the it girl. Yep. It's kind of a matriarchy. Yep. But this is a monostick, which is a one line stanza. My father was, but he wasn't in charge. Line break, stanza break. My father was. Mm -hmm. Just the finality of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, not even Santa. Santa, you know, Santa, who's supposed to be like the biggest, most amazing, you know, Kids really believe in him, except this kid does, knows the truth, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, it kind of, it kind of turns with, we see the mother on the night shift. And I mean, right there, that's like, whoa, this woman's working really hard. And then it gets even worse when her money's taken away and doled back to her by the, by the father. Mm-hmm. And then the turn again that, oh, but in this imagination, once again, this freedom, this imagination, she wants this vehicle to be able to imagine a woman in charge mm -hmm. turns there again. For Barbie to give her that escape from what she's experiencing at home. Yeah. It's kind of interesting how we make toys based on some idea in our mind, some idealized woman. 
and yet to shape the mind in a certain way, but it's not used the way that we predict that it's going to be used. But I think it still has an influence on our culture. And it's right. Like, yeah, like the child in this poem is, um, you know, like going towards the Barbie, wanting the Barbie, wanting the dream house, wanting the, um, even the dream house is so over the top, right? So I, I don't, you know, her home, the speaker's home is never really described, but it doesn't sound like a dream house, right? It sounds like maybe, um, I don't know, a working class apartment or whatever, right? It doesn't sound luxurious. So even just this idea of thinking of the future where I can have a dream house and I'll have a husband who shuts up and doesn't bother me and lets me buy stuff or whatever it is, you know, like, again, you can just project the child's projecting, right? Right. Yeah. That's, that's, that's beautiful. Not a terrible thing to be able right. to And, you know, like I said, I'm a baby boomer. So I really remember the power and the allure mm-hmm. of Barbie and all her accessories mm-hmm. in the early 60s. Mm-hmm. It's pretty amazing that people could come up with something that alluring. Well, there are all these, I mean, again, I know it's probably, it's way too much for one podcast, but um, um, Barbie was based on a German, um, a little German doll called Lilla. And she was um, used by batch, almost like a Playboy bunny that you would hang like, um, you know, on your uh, rear view mirror or a decal. And it was supposed to be like for bachelors. Like I have this cute little, uh, you know, girlfriend that's like whatever, you know, six inches tall. And um, Ruth Handler's husband came home with one. And somehow she had the idea to market this to kids instead. And at first there was all this resistance, like no kid's gonna wanna play with this. And then something broke through where they did. You know, so it's not even like a wholesome toy. I mean, it's just the whole history of it is so bizarre. And nothing's ever been the same. Correct. (laughs) (laughs) Right, because before that you had baby dolls, right? Or like teaching you to be a mom or whatever, a babysitter. But then you suddenly had this tiny human adult doll. It came along right around the time when women were being released for, to some degree from housework by, uh, they were being automated out of housework. Mm-hmm. So it's not like they were just mothers and housekeepers anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah, post-war, yeah, post-war, like you were in the suburbs and buying crap and yeah. I love that Denise brought up Ruth because that's Ruth is an inspiration, <laughs> like a pioneer because she was the executive vice president and her job was due day to day. Her husband was the inventor, and they basically told her like, "Why don't you get back to doing the books and running the business? You're not an inventor. This is not going to be popular." But she had based it off of watching her daughter and their friends play. She had put out paper cutouts with dresses to place over. And the kids picked 
the paper cutouts over actual dolls and played with them for hours. And so she's like, there's this need to have something that you can change and play mm. with. And she had to fight for it. I mean, everyone told her, oh my gosh, this is a horrible idea. It's, it's not going to happen. And I, I mean, mm. I think it was like six or six or nine years. I mean, it was a while that it took to make it happen. For mm -hmm. Yeah. Because, um, so Barbie was born <laughs> March 9th, 1959. And I think this, yeah, the, that her husband took it home. I mean, the fifties, like early fifties or maybe even late forties. It's very weird. Hmm. I'm a little older than Barbie. I look a lot older. <laughs> no, you don't stop it. Barbie, stop it. I mean, Barbie, <laughs> Barbie doesn't age. <laughs> I know she's 60. She turned 60. Well, now she'd be, oh my goodness, 62, I guess. Something like She'll that. be 62. Yeah. But yeah, she's, yeah. Huh. Okay. I lost my, I had a good question. I forgot it. That's, that's what happens when I start thinking about, <laughs> I start thinking about my, my, my wrinkles. That's what, <laughs> that's what happens. Well, I can say that this is KSQD Santa Cruz, 90.7 FM. I'm Deanna Riley. This is the Hive Poetry Collective. And we are reading poems from the upcoming Limp Wrist, which is all about Barbie. But there's something else of, oh, that you're doing, Dustin, the Glitter Bomb. Did you want to tell um, our audience about the Glitter Bomb? Which, by the way, I, whatever it is, I love it. If it's <laughs> Bomb. Oh, and then I just remembered my other question. So I'm going to write down when you're, so I won't forget again. And you tell our audience about the Glitter Bomb when I'm doing it. Yeah, so the Glitter Bomb Award is a poetry contest with no entry fee. Accessibility is really important to me. I don't want people to have to spend spend their money for something to be a barrier. And um, it's a cash prize for one poem. We'll win $600, uh, get a feature spot in the Wild and Precious Life series. And I'm happy that Denise is actually the final judge for the contest this year. Uh, last year, our inaugural judge was Dorian Lux. So it's been really great. Um, and we've increased the cash prize by $100 this year. So I'm excited. The plan is, is to increase it $100 till it gets to 1000 And that's where it'll stop. I like to joke, this isn't RuPaul's Drag Race, which hasn't changed its cash prize in 14 years. We, we understand that the money needs to be there. So I'm, I'm just hope people submit. It's open through March 24th of this year. So how do they find where to submit? limprismagazine.com and um, is, it the, is it a theme or, or anything like that or it's just any poem it no theme whatsoever you just have to be a member of the lgbtq community non-binary or be an ally so i make you have to write a statement so if you can't say you're an ally then you know, <laughs> be in limpris okay so that sounds amazing that sounds like a really fun place to send poems so what I was thinking was that what, who was the name of the woman that came up with this Barbie idea? Ruth Handler. Ruth Handler. What, what mm -hmm. she kind of did was bring dress up to a doll. Because Correct. everyone mm -hmm. loves dress up. It's so fun. Yep. So, and so that it's, that's what she brought to, to the doll. So, yeah, that, that just makes a lot of sense. Why don't we go ahead now and read Dorian Locks's poem with the amazing title, Abused Barbie. Great. Do you want me to read that one, Dustin? Yes, okay. 
so Dorian Locks, who was the um, judge for the Glitterbaum Award uh, last year, um, has been great uh, to Dustin and also to me, a really good friend. And her most recent book is Only As the Day Is Long, New and Selected Poems. And that was published um, by Norton in 2019. So here is her poem by Dorian Lux called Abused Barbie. Abused Barbie always wears long sleeves, scarves to disguise her long neck, leggings even in summer. She flinches when anyone raises a posable arm, shoves an opposable thumb at the door and tells her to get out. She drives to the ocean's ragged edge with the top down, parks near the pilings, a seagull perched on each, the chains between them swinging, singing in the sea breeze. Here she can breathe, bring the clean salt scrubbed air into her hollow body, one of the first ever made before they went to solid plastic to make the legs and arms more bendable so she could throw them up to cover her face. That was Dorian Locks's poem, Abused Barbie, that will appear in the next issue of Limp Wrist. Well, Dorian always brings it. Yeah, she, she does. always brings it. Um, and the sounds in her poems always uh, long sleeve scars to disguise posable and opposable and you know, we all know as poets how dangerous an adjective can be but how great is the ocean's ragged edge i know it's good right yeah so good um, so good. I know she ha had me at, um, you know, in terms of sounds like the between them swinging, singing in the sea breeze, breathe. So it's like between sea breeze, breathe, clean. I mean, it, she's just, um, I don't like her poems are delicious, even though this is a completely um, horrifying, scary poem. It's just so pleasing to listen to. And to read, you know, she's really good. She drives to the ocean's ragged edge with the top down, parks near the pilings, a seagull perched on each, the chains between them swinging, singing in the sea breeze. Right? I mean, yes, I know. She's, what can I say? I'm just going to bow down to her greatness. It's yeah, just, we all it's so it. good. It's so good. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, but I'm just kind of reading along going, oh, great sounds. But then she really brings it at the end. It really turns mm -hmm. a corner. One of the first ever made before they went to solid plastic to make the legs and arms more bendable so she could throw them up to cover her face. Mm -hmm. But once again, it's not about Barbie. It's about, you know, the plight of abused mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. People used women. Mm -hmm. and, uh, oh, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, Dustin. Pulls you in. Like, we have so many great images in a lot of the poems that are published, but like from this one, like I just felt pulled into this poem that I was sitting in that convertible with the top down on this ride, seeing mm -hmm. it, not experiencing it all from start to beginning. And I just like, you want to help her at the end when she's throwing her hands up. Mm -hmm. I love this poem so much. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
And the doll, I mean, I remember, you know, the first Barbie dolls, you couldn't, they, I mean, you couldn't bend the arms at all. They're just kind of, uh, uh, you can't see me because I'm on the radio. But anyway, they just would go like up and down in one direction. So there was no way you could, the doll could cover her face. Yeah, they were like Heil Hitler. Yeah, that's what I was going to say, but then I chickened out, but they were like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I remember when they started to bend, they go click, click, click. When click, they click, bend. click. Yeah. And then I remember once bending one so hard that like it, I broke it and inside there was a wire. It was really disturbing. Yeah, there is. <laughs> Just something dolls, very... dolls are always disturbing <laughs> in some way. Uh, they really are. I, I just mm. want to. I just want to read this first line again. Always wears long sleeves, scarves to disguise her long neck, leggings even in summer. She flinches when anyone raises a posable arm, shoves an opposable thumb at the door, and tells her to get out. Jeez, right? That is just Jeez. such a powerful poem. So you've got Dorian Locks in this one. Are there any other uh, people in it that you'd like to mention? Well, I have time to read um, a poem by Greg Shapiro. Let's read it really quick and then we're probably done. All right, I would love to read this um, to take us out. This is um, SoFlo Rescue Barbie and it's by a poet named Greg Shapiro. Um, whose latest book is Fear of Muses out in March 2022 from Souvenir Spoon Books. And um, I think as I said earlier, there are many tongue twisters in this poem and famous design, designers and products whose um, pronunciations I've been practicing, but please forgive me if I get them wrong. A lot of these brands are out of my price range, but here we go. SoFlow Rescue Barbie. The worst part about living in South Florida isn't elder abuse or vaccine hesitancy, the humidity or hurricanes. It's all the orphaned Barbies in various stages of undress and distress, piled like junkyard cars at American Thrift, Goodwill and Hasada resale. Knotted, discolored and hacked hair, ink-stained skin and sharpied pubic region missing a limb with a double mastectomy. At least the queens who shop at Out of the Closet on Wilton Drive know how to make Barbie feel loved and valued again. Take her home to mid-century architecture and decor. Bathe her in Calgon, shampoo her damaged locks with Kerastase, Discipline, Bane, Fluidistlist. Massage coconut oil into her cracking scalp. Apply Lancome Hydra Zen to her visage. Christian Lou Baton silky satin lip color to make her perpetual smirk even more desirable, kissable. Nothing but Chanel Le Vernis tints her finger and toenails. A diminutive white gold Rolex oyster perpetual day date 36 with diamond paved dial, diamond set bezel and a diamond set president bracelet wrapped around her slender tapered wrist. Tiffany diamond studs for her ears with matching diamond and platinum pendant for her throat. Dressed to the nines, Stuart Wiseman Cinderella slippers adorn her perfectly pedicured and arched feet. Only vintage Valentino or Carl Lagerfeld will do when it comes to her gowns to be worn on the red carpet at galas 
or picking up a few nibblies at Sprouts. That was Denise Duhamel reading Greg Shapiro's SoFlo Rescue Barbie here on the Hive Poetry Collective. I'm Deanna O'Reilly. This is KSQD Santa Cruz 90.7 FM. And we only have mm, maybe three minutes or four minutes left. So why don't you go ahead and tell our audience anything that you think they should know about this project and anything else you want to tell them before we close shop. I want to just shout out to Kara Dad's book because I did not mention it. Tortiera, it's her debut book out from Texas A&M Press and I should have mentioned that. So party foul, I have to squeeze that in. <laughs> so good, book. so good. It is amazing. Um, I'm just excited and grateful that Denise said yes and I had so much fun uh, doing this issue. And there are so many poems that I could not hit forward fast enough that <laughs> I was screaming hell yes uh, <laughs> to after reading them. Yes, it was really fabulous. And it was a pleasure to work with Dustin, who's such a good editor and takes such care and is so professional. I mean, I would say, even if it's this issue obviously is closed, but Limp Wrist is such a wonderful magazine. And He's fast and fair and <laughs> gets the job done. <laughs> you won't wait, you know, as, as a poet myself, it's like waiting for, you know, a year for an acceptance or rejection that does not happen at Limprist. And people should go to limprist.com or org? Um, limpristmagazine.com. Limpristmagazine.com. Um, any other, oh, and then you've got this reading coming up, the wild, go ahead. March 16th, the Wild and Precious Life Series. So it's just wildandpreciouslifeseries.com and you can get the Zoom link from there. Cool, okay. Well, we are just about done today. And uh, do either one of you have books that are gonna be coming out soon that you wanna plug at all? Just your old books, I mean. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, go ahead and read Dustin um, Berkshire's books and Denise Duhamel's books. They're great reads, a lot of fun. Of course, Kinky now is a must have. Um, I must confess, it was sitting by my toilet for the longest time. No. <laughs> <laughs> the poems were much longer. read over and over. And, well, that's what, now I've got Diane Seuss's sonnets there. So beautiful. Yeah, she's great. So you're a great company there. <laughs> okay. So it was so wonderful talking to you both today. Thank you so much for coming on, buzzing into the hive. Thank you for having us. It was lovely. It was really fun. Okay. So fun. Oh, go ahead, Dustin. Say goodbye. Just thank you. I was so fun. This is such a blast. I have been looking forward to this so much. I've been excited all day. Um, to talk to you about this because a whole bunch of things I love in the same place. Okay, so this is Deanna O'Reilly. This is the Hive Poetry Collective. This is KSTD Santa Cruz 90.7 FM. You can listen to poetry every Sunday night at 8 on KSQD. Please tune in again. Thanks for tuning in this time.